Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yeah! Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech executive producer of social media here at the IQ. And uh-oh, can you believe that this is the last Tube Talk podcast of 2023? Oh my goodness. How did we get to the end of the year so quickly? But yes, folks, this is it. I've decided to go in a different direction for the last podcast of the year. You know, a lot of times on the podcast, I talk to guests, uh, I talk myself about how to grow on YouTube, what to do, different things like that. I try to focus positively on things that will make you a better creator. But in this podcast, I'm bringing on a special guest and we're going to talk about things that you need to avoid. Some of the negative stuff that we see creators do that they should definitely avoid if they want to prolong their creator career. Today, we are talking about the harsh truth of YouTubers out there, and we are doing it with a man who needs no introduction. You know him as the creator entrepreneur, the emperor, Roberto Blake. That's right. He's back. So let's go ahead, bring Roberto in, and let's roll to the podcast. Welcome back to Tube Talk, presented by vidIQ. And this week, guests really don't need any introduction, but you know him as a creator, entrepreneur, YouTube educator, and more recently, best-selling author. That's right. The man, the myth, the legend himself has returned. Roberto Blake is back. What's up, sir? How you doing? I'm doing all right, Viper. Happy holidays. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, too, and happy holidays to you, man. I appreciate you uh, making the time as usual, so thank you. Yeah, you're one of my last podcasts as we round out uh, the new year, you know, yeah, coming up on New Year's Eve here. Yeah, this, this is the last two talk podcast of the year. And I want to go in a little different direction today, Roberto. We talk about how to grow and what creators are doing right and different things like that. But today I want to talk about some of the hard truth of YouTubers, things that creators do that come as a detriment to them, things that you all should definitely avoid uh, in your creator journey. And the number one thing I feel like creators should avoid is being too emotional. And that relates to a bunch of things. But I'll start off with being too emotional about your content. And what I mean by that is sometimes, actually, I'll just give, a, I'll give an example. I'll give an antidote to help you guys understand it more closely. So I have a friend that's a content creator. I'm not going to put anybody's name on blast, but I have a friend. And my friend does live streams on YouTube. But one of the things that annoyed me about my friend's live streams, and I told them this, so this is not like I'm talking out of turn. I told them. They're it's not me. No, not Roberto. <laughs> but one of the things that my friend does at the beginning of all of their live streams is they do a countdown uh, screen. Now, I'm not really, again, countdown stream unless it's four minutes. That's a problem. Like, why is your countdown screen four minutes? I've seen people do um, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. It's oh, wild. my. It's terrible. It's yeah. Listen, when I do a countdown stream on my live stream, but it's 30 seconds, okay? That's it. Because I know sometimes YouTube sends out notifications and you, you wait for people to come to the stream and different things like that. But 
that countdown stream or that countdown screen, a five minute countdown uh, screen. Are you kidding me? So I don't know why creators do that. I know a few of you all listening probably do that. That's just something that I would not recommend you all doing because half of the time what happens is that when I go to your live streams and I see that countdown stream, I'm going somewhere else. And then I forget your live streaming. So I'm against I'm against countdowns in general. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm against um, intros unless it's literally a one second bumper. And by intros, I mean these edited. Oh, wow. I edited this nice fancy. It's like if your thing is not a podcast or a show. Because like if you're a podcast like Patrick Bet David, for example, like where you literally have the most produced thing in the world and you have a catchy jingle and you're big time like that, where people when you have like literally 5000 people waiting on the live stream, you can have an intro for your live stream when you're like that. You get what I'm saying? Like that makes sense. Right. But like, no, I agree with you. Um, countdowns intros even for edited youtube videos right i'm against things that feel to some degree like they waste the viewer's time and don't value them i i'm not for that yeah and something that i had to get over myself in my early creator year was having outro music um outro music is not a good look because that cues the viewer that the video is about to end and then they're gone before the video even ends and that came out with your attention so what did I do? I removed the outro music and now I do videos without it. But just little things like that, that we as creators kind of get stuck on because we're emotionally invested for whatever reason that kind of come as a detriment to the overall content presentation to the viewer. Stuff like that, creators just have to get over it and avoid doing that type of stuff. It's just not a good look. I would say the thing that I would say is more intention and less emotion. If you're doing something from a branding standpoint because it's your favorite color instead of because this makes sense, or this like matches my viewing audience or something like that, then you're just doing it to do it. Primary example, I use for my current banner, I'm using um, an, a, a deep orange banner because it matches the branding for my current book. And I plan the sequel and trilogy of my books to have a specific color scheme and color theme. So I'm making a practical choice to where I've moved some of my brand aesthetics for the YouTube channel, at least, to align with the branding for my book and my book series. Right. So that was a practical aesthetic choice. I loved my mini Roberto avatar, where it's the animated version of me holding that silver play button. I swapped that out on my banner to a version of me that is physically holding my physical silver play button award because it's a credibility play and it's a credibility piece for people to know at a glance if they've come to my channel that oh he's a silver play button holder he's a silver play button level youtuber that is something from a credibility standpoint makes sense i chose to make my profile pick everywhere me holding my silver play button mm -hmm. that was a branding choice for social proof that as somebody that's a creator economy educator a youtube educator specifically as it being my biggest platform i'm almost to a hundred thousand on x.com now i'm at ninety two thousand uh climbing up to ninety three thousand i will have a hundred thousand in the new year then right. i'll grow to a hundred thousand in instagram my goal is to hit a hundred thousand in three of my platforms youtube is the first one now i'm at like six hundred thousand there road to a million uh next year i'll worry about the road to a million i'm making a point it's that I, I made a practical choice about just how everything looks based on the concepts of social proof, like having my book in my banners, 
because it makes sense for me to promote my book and that I'm a best-selling author right. and for people to want to buy and be aware that my book exists. And my silver play button exists in my profile pic, not for a brag, not for clout, but because showing that I have a result that my audience desires is the proper social proof and it makes perfect sense for what my goal is. If you were, let's say you were a fitness instructor, I would tell you that if you were a male fitness instructor and you had eight pack abs, you should have your main picks of your stuff always showing off your eight pack abs and your broad shoulders if that was um, your stuff, you know, if that made sense. So I would tell you that aesthetically that you should be doing that and that should make sense. The thing is, if you had a doctorate or you were a PhD, I would tell you that that should exist in all of your branding of your social media handles should be doctor so-and-so, you know, wherever you are. So I would tell you that that would make the most sense because it's the social proof that you have to leverage your results. Well, Roberto, that's there a lot the problem right there. I believe a lot of creators, especially new creators, they do things emotionally and not intentionally to your point. Like you said, you set the banner to your the colors of your book to match that aesthetic because you are releasing that book and you're trying to promote that book. A lot of creators don't have that type of intentionality when they're creating their content or creating their, their channel aesthetics and different things like that. Uh, it's basically whatever, however they feel emotionally at the time, even sometimes even with their content. And that's just not the way you're going to grow on YouTube when you need to be more intentional about the stuff that you do. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think that it's a lack of proper planning. And I think even when there is a plan, the plan is about satisfying an emotional need, satisfying a desire, satisfying ego, even um, at the expense of thinking about what's good for my brand, what's good for my audience, what's good for my followers, what's good for my business. And I think that's because a lot of people are prioritizing how they feel about this. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're saying, I want to be a hobby creator and I want everything I do in my content to be fun. I do a job already. I don't want to be burned out. If I wanted this to be a job, I'd be at work, blah, blah. I would like it to make money. There's nothing wrong with being a hobby content creator. I have nothing against that. However, if you're deep down, just kind of using that as an excuse, and you know that deep down what you really want is you want to leave your nine to five job, you want to content create for a living, you want the recognition, you want the money, you want the attention. I would say that in that situation, that you have to optimize for the outcomes you want. You have to do something that makes sense because it'll grow your subscribers or it'll grow your email list in your newsletter or it'll grow your business and get you sales or it will demonstrate the reputation that you're trying to build and say, well, this is my claim to fame. This is my credentials because, you know, I'm a doctor or a PhD or I'm a lawyer or I'm a professional or um, what have you, whatever your accolades are. Or if you were a pro gamer, you should be like, yes, I am you know, um, a Brawl Stars world champion or, you know, I'm a Clash of, a Clash Royale world champion or whatever it is, or Fortnite, um, you know, ranked, you know, in the top 50 in the world. You should leverage whatever your social proof is yep. and understand that it's not about bragging. It's not about showing off. It is about here is a reason you can take me seriously when you look at your feed instead of other people. Here's the reason that separates me from the other people in your feed right now. And that's something you should do. 
I also think that in terms of intentionality and planning, people also don't plan this around making this thing fit in their life, fit the right size in their life in terms of lifestyle. Mm. I, they make all these lofty goals of how much content they want to put out or how often they want to upload. I'm like, well, how long on average does it take you to edit? How much free time do you have? You work a nine to five job, you work 40 hours a week, fantastic. You have 10 to, you have 10 to 20 hours of free time now. You can only make two videos a week probably at best assuming you have the capacity to film and edit and get out a video that you're putting um, 10 hours into total. That means that for the amount of time that you have, if you have 10 to 20 hours of free time a week and your entire round trip editing process is five to 10 hours, the most you can do reasonably of good quality videos is two videos a week if that's the case. And that's how you're gonna get out 100 videos a year, two videos a week, 100 videos a year. That's what a lot of us experienced YouTubers use as a baseline. That's work for Graham Stephan. That's work for Ali Abdal. I believe they all did two to three videos a week for three years to grow, to get their first you know, big break on YouTube. It was because they did that. It makes sense. But they also put everything they could with the free time while they had their real careers. Graham was a real estate agent. And he was still dealing with a lot of the property stuff. And he was doing renovations still at the time when he was growing his YouTube channel. So when he wanted to make a video, he really had to, and he was adding in um, iMovie, Struggle Bus iMovie. So he was still putting five, eight hours to edit one video by himself. He didn't have an editor back then, even though he was a millionaire, because he was only a millionaire on paper back then. It was all in real estate. Ali Abdal, he was a doctor working in the UK when he was a doctor and when he was also doing his residency. He was working on YouTube um, by himself and doing it part-time. He was doing it part-time. He was doing all of his editing. He was only able to put out the two videos a week. And before that, he was a student. Cambridge, very demanding. So again, how much free time do you have? That determines the quality of videos you can make. So they're not intentional. They like, oh, I want to make this great video and that great video. And then by the time they sit there and they put 20, 40 hours into a video and it takes them two weeks, the window of opportunity they had for that video being relevant is gone because they had the idea. They sat on it for a week. They had to find the energy to make it in film. Then it took them two or three weeks to finally get it perfect because they wanted to put all this time and make it high quality, high quality content, all the things. The window of time for that video doing well has already passed. The thing is, there's a value to speed. A lot of you, you take the advice of famous and rich YouTubers too seriously sometimes when they talk about, oh, not putting out garbage. When they talk about, like, you take them too seriously. Because what you, what they think is garbage, you might think is gold because they have extravagant taste because they're rich and famous. They probably would look at your lifestyle and not feel your lifestyle is worth getting out of bed for in the morning because at this point they have extravagant taste. And this is not disrespect to those big people. I'm just saying that you have to take some success with a grain of salt when people reach a certain threshold because they might be out of touch with you if you're a working class content creator. You have to remember a lot of successful YouTubers are very young. They've never worked a 40 hour a week, nine to five job. Some of them, they went straight into content creation right out of high school or college. Right. They have a level of privilege you've never had. So they can't relate to juggling a 40-hour work week, kids, and content creation. Most of these people are single, under 30, childless, and never worked a 40-hour week labor job or corporate job, white-collar job. A lot of them only worked part-time in things like food service or retail at best.
Look, as YouTube creators ourselves, we've all been there. Sometimes the next video on your weekly upload schedule is right around the corner, but you have no idea what you're going to record. Well, this exact situation is why vidIQ developed Daily Ideas. It's our newest tool that can help provide you with up to 50 new video ideas every single day. Your daily ideas are generated by our AI, which analyzes your channel and the wider YouTube community to find trending topics with high view potential. With this new tool, you'll never run out of great ideas for new videos. You can try daily ideas for yourself today by downloading vidIQ at vidIQ.com. I want to dig into that a little bit more um, because you just made the point that Big YouTubers will look uh, not necessarily look down on smaller YouTubers, but they can't relate to the smaller YouTubers. But I think sometimes the smaller YouTubers try to do too many things that the big YouTubers do, and they see it working. And they yes. think it's gonna work for them, and I'm like, no, you can't do that. no, you can't. You don't have the resources. Right. You don't have the resources because a lot of people they do not understand the systems and resources, the vast resources that YouTubers have at their disposal. Many of these people have eight people teams. I think Marquez has an eight person team or more. Ali Abdal has a 14 person team or more. Uh, Mr. Beast has 200 people on staff. Now a lot of people watching this, whether they're younger or older, still miscalculate the amount of help and resources that these YouTubers have, which means these YouTubers that you're looking at, they have enough people to where if they put out one video a week, 200 hours of other people's labor went into that video. Not 200 hours of other people's like, like, yeah, not joking. Not to mention the fact that the bigger YouTubers are already known. They've already built their audiences, so they don't have to do some of the things that smaller YouTubers need to do to establish themselves because they're already established. Well, someone uh, in maintenance mode, someone who's maintaining what they have is not the same as someone grinding and getting out of the mud and building from nothing. Right, exactly. It's completely different. That's yep. even when like people are like, Oh, I can make whatever I want, or oh, you are the niche, or oh, you don't have to niche down. Go back to their early content. They all niche down. None of them were the niche when they started for the most part. Ooh. And when they were trying to play that game, most of them struggled when they tried to do whatever they want. They struggled. And a lot of the smarter ones, you look at Ali Abdal and Graham Stefan, they tell you, like, look, the thing that I would go back and do is I wouldn't have been all over the place. I would have focused on this. I wouldn't have tried to do everything. You really need to get a target audience. You need to understand what you know, and you can branch out later build on that i'm glad i got to have fun and get these things on my system but what do they have in common they did not rely on this for their livelihood or to transform their life because the thing is if their life never changed if ali abdal's life never changed he still would have been a cambridge graduate and still would have been a doctor in the uk and still would have made his mother proud there was nothing that youtube did not need to transform his life for him to have a worthwhile life that is enviable Graham Stephan, if YouTube never changed his life, he would still be a million-dollar real estate agent doing Selling Sunset. Graham Stephan's life did not need to change because of YouTube. That is a big difference to think about. If Ryan Trahan never was successful in YouTube, Ryan Trahan still would have been a Division One athlete. Mm. So, didn't bring nope. me another thing that uh, you... That's uh, really big. I just want you to take that in consideration. That's a really big difference for these people who did grind and get it out. But they also... Their fallback plan was a life that's still enviable and probably very different than yours. Absolutely. Which brings me to another thing that I mean you've talked about before, and that is creators, especially newer creators, making variety content. This yes. is a no-no if you want to grow. Now, if you don't care about growing a channel, then you don't not you don't need to listen to this next bit. But if you are listening to the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm going to assume that you want to grow your channel. And if you want to grow your channel, 
you need to avoid the whole variety content trap. And what I mean by that is making stuff that's all over the place, just making what you want and not taking the audience into account, not being focused, not picking a lane and niching down. Because like Roberto said, you know, once the creator figured out where their lane was and they niche down, then they started to grow. Because at, at that point, you then become more predictable. The more predictable you become to the audience, the more comfortable they can get with you and the more likely they like they more uh, the more likely they are to subscribe to you if they know what to expect from you upload to upload. But that is extremely difficult when you are out there making variety content and being so erratic with your content and what you upload that they can't trust what they're going to get from one video to the next. Why would they subscribe to you? Why would anybody subscribe to you if they don't know what they're going to get from upload to upload? It just doesn't make sense. Be a variety streamer on Twitch. Be a variety streamer on Twitch. Edit videos and do a niche content for YouTube. Be a variety streamer on Twitch and be yourself and do everything you want to do and say everything you want to say and be out there on TikTok as long as you don't think you'll get canceled for it or as long as you don't think that it'll bring you stalkers or harassment. Be yourself and be out there and be your full self on TikTok. Be a variety streamer on Twitch because with those platforms... People are looking deeper, more for personality. They're looking for that high-level authenticity. YouTube is the polish. It's showing up polished, and it's showing up to perform on stage or um, at the office. It's it's really that. It's the portfolio piece of the finished work, the work in progress. Do that on TikTok and Twitch, the work in progress, putting yourself out there, your experimentation. I think you can experiment with YouTube in year one if you're willing to one, move on and do another channel later and just say, yep, that was my, like, I mean, even Mr. Beast, he did like two or three channels before the one that we knew now. Like Logan and Jake Paul were failed YouTubers twice before they blew up out in Vine and then came to YouTube. Uh, a lot of people do not understand that the successful creators they like, a lot of this is their second, third, or fourth YouTube channel. A lot of people do not know that. They do not listen to enough of the podcast. They don't go into the origin stories of these creators. They don't go look at their first 100 videos. Mr. Beast made 460 videos before he even got to a thousand subscribers. Sorry, 10,000 subscribers. He made a uh, hundred videos, didn't get a thousand subscribers, made 460 videos to get to 10,000 subscribers. I know because I watched the 10,000 subscriber Q and a special he did with his mom. So I know exactly how many videos it took him because he said so in the video. Like, so the, um, the information is out there to understand a lot of this. Marquez was like 74, 78 subscribers after video 100. PewDiePie, 100 videos, got him to 2,500 subscribers. Like this information is out there. The humble beginnings of these people are out there. And even PewDiePie, Variety didn't serve him initially as a gamer. He focused on the Amnesia series and he focused on the horror genre of gaming. He did scary games. That's why when YouTube did a series with him, it was Scare PewDiePie. It was, it was because he played these video games that scared himself. Markiplier blew up off of Five Nights at Freddy's. There's, you know, something to be said for, and again, he got to do variety content as a whole, but it's his most successful series. It's one of the things he's known for, you know? So if you look at a lot of these creators... The thing that they did that goes well, Swoozy back in the day, the father of animation story time, he had to double down on the series that made him big for a while until he got permission to do other things was the um, series around him being a Disney employee and telling stories from the job and animating them. That's what blew Swoozy up. And then he got permission to talk about other things as people came to like his personality. So you, you build, uh, I feel like if you draw a picture of a tree the roots of that tree 
are the skills that you have and bring to the table. And you always want to get those things deeper. You want to become a better video editor so you can be faster so that you can make higher quality content with the same amount of free time. As you become good at learning video editing, Viper, you recently became very good at Photoshop and you're getting better. The deeper you go to those roots, the faster it is to get something of equal quality takes less time or better quality takes the same time. So the thing is, the deeper you get your roots going, the stronger the foundation is going to be. You build that trunk of the tree and that trunk of the tree starts with the thing that you can become known for and that you can prove that you're good at because you have the skills to execute on that and to become known for something. As you come known for something and you level up and level up, you get permission to branch off of things related to that something. And then that's how that tree comes. And if that tree grows enough, you can eat from the fruit of it forever. So that's my analogy of YouTube. You know, Roberto, it's interesting that you talk about skills and leveling up because another mistake that I see a lot of creators make is that they are unwilling for or for uh, one reason or another to invest in themselves. Um, I told a story uh, to you about how I spent five hours one day learning Photoshop because I knew that thumbnail was my weakness and I want to get better. So I did that. And like you said, my thumbnails have gotten better because I spent that five hours learning Photoshop. Five hours to make your thumbnails 10 times better, dude. Yeah, Absolutely. And I see a lot of this when it comes to paying for things. Now, there's a lot of education that you can get off of YouTube. I talked about last week, YouTube University is a beautiful thing. But at some point, if you want to grow as a creator, you're going to have to spend money, whether that be on equipment, coaching, courses, whatever it may be that's going to make you better. You need to spend money because there's a thing. To make money, you got to spend money. (laughs) And some of you all out there are unwilling because you feel like it's too expensive or you feel like you can't get any value, this, that, and the other. But you have to be willing to invest in yourself if you want to grow. Otherwise, your growth is going to be very stagnant. And I see a lot of creators, for one, whatever reason, they don't want to do that. One of the best things they could do is probably find a workshop that they can go to in person that focuses around cameras and camera equipment and lighting and audio. They could probably, that would be one of the best things they could do because a lot of people, they don't realize how much their production skills, they're putting not great quality into the camera and thinking they can edit great quality out without putting great quality in. Uh -uh, That ain't happening. A lot of creators, what they should be doing, they should be going and spending and investing in public speaking or even speech pathology and speech therapy classes. If they feel nervous or they have a stutter and that's holding them back, they should just like learn, go and pay to learn public speaking and to do, and they should do something. If they want to do something free, they should do Toastmasters or something. They should master public speaking. Public speaking is underrated when it comes to YouTube. So they should just go and pay to learn public speaking. They should go and learn photography so that they can make better thumbnails. The biggest YouTubers, they're not winning because of great graphic design. They're learning because of photography and staging their photography, um, whether it's their product photography with flat lays like Marquez, or they're doing the poses and then having an artist Photoshop them like Mr. Beast is doing. The uh, Photography is what's winning the game in YouTube more than graphic design is at this point. A lot of them should go to a conference and go to something like Shutterfest, Sal Sincata. My friend Sal Sincata runs that out in, um, I believe it's in uh, Missouri. No, it's St. Yeah, St. Louis, Missouri. So like, you know, going out to that, that's in the spring, going there and learning about cameras and lights and uh, photography and even video. You can learn a lot about the hardware side from uh, from that standpoint for lighting, photography, cinematography, 
that sort of thing. And they have reps from the camera companies there and they can teach you stuff and they can also clean your camera gear if your camera sensors a mess, all that stuff. So that's an example. I speak at a pod fest in Florida and Orlando that's happening in uh, January. You can learn a lot there around audio gear and they have audio engineers there. They have people from the microphone companies. They have, I think Sweetwater has a booth there. You can play with all the audio gear and you can learn a lot more about microphones, audio editing, audio processing. Audio is more important than video a lot of times. And so, oh, that'd be a physical event you can go to. It's also a conference where they talk about growth and monetization and business and the podcasting side of things. But even just being there to learn more in person acts audio experts about audio equipment and audio settings and to get a real evaluation of how good your audio skills are. Yeah, that'd be worth it to go to to learn that. Uh, in terms of courses, some of the best courses, I would say Graham Stephan's course is pretty good. I've actually seen the back end of that um, on YouTube. Pat Flynn's course is really good for YouTube. I don't have a co course I have yet. I have a coaching group. I have a membership group. We don't have a course yet, but we do have like 100 hours of training in our group for creators. There's a lot of places you can go and you can um, do what works for you and who, if you want mentorship, you can find people who have the temperament to teach you. I've coached and mentored hundreds of creators. I think in my rogues gallery, I think we have 60 silver play buttons among the creators that I've coached so far, maybe more still doing the audits. Um, we've helped a lot of creators, even if we didn't help them get to that level. I mean, you know, helped and coached, um, El Jefe and technically T um, and um, CJ knows tech, you know, mm, um, like with a lot of people in our community, um, Jen, like so many people, like, you know, there's a lot of creators that have been successful from my group, but there's other people who've been successful working with Daniel Battelle or Daryl Eves with channel jumpstart, or even what you guys are doing right now with VidIQ. There's a lot of people, people that have worked with my friend, Tim Schmoyer or Sean Cannell. There's a lot of resources there and there's a lot of different people. Some people have different budgets. I would tell people that if they're on a budget and it's like, I can't go to a place and learn video hands-on. I can't go to one of these conferences and learn audio hands-on. There might be resources at your local library. There might be resources at your local community college and everyone underestimates all these things. There's also, if you go to local library, a hack that people don't know is you can get a library card and get the Libby app and local library. A lot of them here in the States, you get access to LinkedIn learning for free and you can get basically access to free online courses. Some of them have free Skillshare memberships that you could get that you could learn skills for free going through a video editing or a Photoshop course or whatever on that. Underestimated. My book is available as an ebook from the Libby app. It probably can be ordered in if you want a physical copy to your local library. You could buy my book. My book's $15. Sean's book, I think, is $15. Pat Flynn's book is $15. That, that's an affordable, reasonable investment. You're going to spend it on something frivolous anyway. It's a really decent investment to just get a book. And you can learn a lot from the books. You can learn principles. You can learn fundamentals. They say there's like different levels of learning. There's reading, comprehension. There's audio lecture. Like if you're listening to this podcast, there's audio visual. If you watch YouTube videos, there's having it demonstrated for you. Sometimes demonstration is videos. Like I said, you can go to events and sometimes that demonstrations in person. Then there's discussion. If you can't afford to be in a group like mine, find somebody's discord community or Facebook group to be in that might be free or show up to our live streams. That's a place where you might be able to discuss things, if, you know, so, or, or even build a text group with your friends or a DM group with your friends who are content creators. So it's discussion, 
then after discussion, it's practice, practice, practice. Besides doing the thing, are you doing like Viper and practicing your Photoshop skills to make better thumbnails? Not yep. just waiting until you have a thumbnail you have to get out. You learn the process. Are you practicing your video editing? How many hours have you practiced your videoing? Practicing your audio editing, practicing B-roll, practicing lighting, practice. Yep your composition for the stuff practicing using your slider arm for the uh, b-roll like are you practicing your craft and then finally for even if you're not an expert are you at least communicating and teaching one person what you know and explaining it because if you can explain it then you understand it those are the seven levels to learning anything and a lot of youtubers don't invest nearly enough in the diversity of their learning or the depth of their learning which brings me to my next point. A lot of creators are out there wasting time being envious of their fellow more successful creators. And this is something I hear, see a lot on social media, uh, whether it's inside or outside the creative space, but I definitely see it in the creative space with other creators uh, hating on bigger and more successful creators instead of using that time to make yourself better. If you got time to hate on somebody else, then you got time to use that energy to better yourself. And a lot of times I see way too many creators in the space being envious of somebody else's success, even though that person that you are being envious of has been doing it for a lot longer and have spent the time practicing and honing their craft. And you're wasting time looking at them and wishing you were where they are instead of putting the work and the time into getting there. And it's just you're wasting time. Like, why are you comparing what you're doing to what they're doing when it ain't even the same thing? They have resources that you don't. They spent time that you haven't. And that's time that you could be spending on yourself, but you're not for whatever reason. And it's just, it's a missed opportunity in my opinion. It absolutely is. There's no point in comparing yourself. Look, a lot of times people are creating themselves to uh, comparing themselves to creators and they don't know the backstory and they don't know the circumstances that put that person in that position. That's also why trying to copycat and say, well, I'll use the same strategies as this person. Their strategy won't work with you for you without their experience and skill set, without their resources, and in some cases without their privilege. So it, it, it's not going to work for you because it doesn't apply to you because you cannot sit there and duplicate somebody's methodology in some cases without having their same resources. That's just not how it works. That's why a lot of the things that I talk about Viper is one, I break things down to levels of like zero to 1000 subs, 1000 to 10,000, 10,000 to 50, 50 to a hundred, um, 100,000, to 500,000, 500,000, to a million, a million plus. And when I work with my clients at a million plus, their problems are not the same as the clients that are at 50,000 subscribers. The million subscriber clients that I have have wildly different problems. Their problems are stuff around their team. And like, okay, why would I talk to Roberta about that? One, I have a team for my coaching business, but also I worked in corporate America. I was a manager. I actually led teams before. So I've actually done hiring and firing. And I've actually... Um, had to do payroll. I've done those things. A lot of big YouTubers at a million subscribers, you'd be surprised. They don't have a payroll system. They don't understand how to do the benefits packages for their employees. They don't know how to set up the contracts. They don't have an employee company handbook. They don't have HR protocols. They don't have social media protocols for the employees and staffing. They don't have any of these important systems in place for running and operating like a real business and protecting themselves. They have none of that in place. They don't know where to find uh, accounting services that would work with someone that has an online business and understands it versus just someone in their town that doesn't get it and is out of touch and doesn't understand the internet. They, you know, they use their father's accountant or whatever. They don't understand the importance of getting the right types of insurance. They don't have media insurance to keep them uh, safe. They don't have gear protections. They don't have liability insurance for their shoots. They don't realize the importance 
of even um, coordinating and getting the right um, permits and coordinating with local law enforcement for certain things to get themselves set up or to have proper security for events. There's a lot of problems that big YouTubers have that would not even occur to someone who's struggling to get 10,000, 50,000 subscribers that have to do with real world problems and being a real business. Okay. So different conversation, right? But then right. let's go back to the working class career. Let's bring it back down to earth. The, the A lot of times the problems that I solve for and the people I work with, there's things they don't see coming down the pipeline. They don't see how to position themselves for brand deals. They don't realize that there's things they're doing in social media that will be a turnoff for brands in their non-main platforms. That's a big one you and I run into all the time. They don't know how to negotiate their contracts. They don't realize that, oh, wait, if I don't have a contract, maybe I'm getting scammed. They don't realize that. They don't uh, know how to deal with some of the uh, tax implications of their brand deals. They don't know how to deal with privacy implications like we talked about with our friend uh, Laron uh, Segev, somebody I also coached back in his early creator journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, He's, I think, on the road to a million subscribers if he's not already there right now. Um, and he does creator security and helps creators with security and privacy concerns. Uh, things that you can do to protect yourself from hacking, having things like the Google Titan key, the physical um, key that we have, and using the Authenticator app two-factor authentication, not telling people which mobile phone carrier you have so that they can't, you know, mess around with that. There's, there's all these uh, different considerations based on the different levels you are as a creator. When you look at a big creator and you look at what they're doing, there's a lot of things you're overlooking and you have no clue about because you should actually prioritize certain things. And there's certain protocols and certain rules for playing as a smaller content creator or even a working class content creator, even if you have a hundred thousand subscribers, but you haven't quit your day job yet, completely different considerations than someone who might be at 30 or 50,000 subscribers, but they get to work from home or they don't have a day job. There's a completely different set of things that are available to you in terms of your circumstances, your priorities and your resources, time being a key resource. There's a big difference between being a creator. That's a solo creator with 50,000 subscribers and still works a nine to five job versus being a husband and wife duo at 20,000 subscribers. And both of you either work from home or you don't have to work full time or you have your own business. That is a completely different situation. That husband wife duo has a massive advantage over someone who has three times the subscriber count because they have more free time. They have more manpower between them. They probably might have the ability to invest more directly because they're already business owners and the business owner aspect of what they're doing, being stay at home employees, work from home, remote employees gives them experience and expertise that that solo creator that's still grinding, still at the nine to five job, still figuring out doesn't have, even if they're bigger, I would give the advantage to the smaller content creator. If it's a husband wife duo with 20,000 subscribers every single day over a solo creator with 50,000 subscribers that still works a nine to five job. There's a difference and there's a gap in circumstance and resource there that is very difficult to overcome, even with a larger subscribership. Absolutely. Which brings me, uh, wrapping it up real quick, to things that happen on social media. Uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I feel like I need to reiterate this because it's something that creators continue to do. They put themselves in harm's way with the stuff they share and post on social media, whether it be in tweets, whether it be in public spaces like uh, Twitter Spaces or Coffee Talk or, I mean, not Coffee Talk, or Clubhouse, whatever it might be, you have creators who uh, let their emotion get the better of them and they post up on social media that they regret, end up regretting later. It could cost them their actual employment. 
It could cost them chances to work with brands. It could cost the relationship with their fellow creators. You need to avoid sharing everything on social media. I, the thing that I like to say is everybody doesn't need to know everything about you all the time. Like <laughs> some stuff you just need to hold close to the best and not put on social media. And when you feel yourself having it uh, on the verge of having an emotional outburst and you're near a keyboard or a phone, put the phone down, step away from the keyboard and go outside and get some air before you make that move. Because once it's out there, you know what they say, people, the Internet is forever. And even if you delete it, somebody screenshotted it and they'll use it against you later on. So if you feel like you're about to make an emotional uh, social post, don't do it. Walk away. <laughs> Come back to it later on. It's, if it's not it. business, if it's not business, give it 48 hours. Mm-hmm. If you're in particular, if it comes to particularly posting something on Twitter or TikTok, because this is where people go and they vent and this is where everyone makes their mistakes. Let's just be honest about that. Yeah. Everyone makes their mistakes on Twitter and TikTok. Everybody that gets canceled, it's because of Twitter and TikTok. It's almost never because of something they do on YouTube. Occasionally, it's something they say or do live streaming on Twitch. If it's not business, if it's not business related, if it's not on brand for you, if it's not frivolous and you're feeling some kind of way or you feel a say it, give it 48 hours and if you and if you still care about it in 48 hours, run it by at least three people you trust and see what they have to say, because maybe just getting it out of your system and talking to those three people is enough to not need to say it to anybody else to feel heard. I would say it's better to have a text group or a DM group. Now, it better be people you can all trust and there may need to be some mutually assured destruction involved because <laughs> we live in a culture where people happily and illegally leak texts and dms now and in a lot of states united states and a lot of countries outside the u.s it's illegal to do that without consent so just keep in mind that mm, you know those if those things uh can be published then they can be public and so maybe take that into consideration if that's the case yeah might need it to be a case of mutually assured destruction so people are incentivized not to do that so um (laughs) we have quid pro quo um we shouldn't have to think this way, but I'm just being realistic. Um, in light of events that we've seen in social media, this is how it is. Yep. This is also why it's important when you do um, have people, even from a business standpoint, in terms of people you hire, to have contracts and NDAs and things in place, to have consequences and boundaries and things of that nature. And what I would say is, Like in real life, it's better just go hang out with your friends, go to a restaurant, go to the bar, talk to your friends in real life, talk to your family, talk to your parents, talk to your siblings, whoever, talk to your significant other, vent to them. Even if they're not in social media, even if they're not playing the same game as you, even if they don't understand, just tell them and just get it off your chest and you'll probably feel a lot better. Stop going to social media to be validated. It's not a safe space. And and I mean that. I genuinely mean that. I know a lot of people talk a good game about authenticity and vulnerability, but there are a lot of people out there and they're not all your friends. They're not all your friends. They're not all your allies. They're not all your comrades. That's not a safe space. There's a lot of people out there that are strangers. There's a lot of people out there that are weirdos, stalkers, and creeps. And unfortunately, um, things you put out there are things they can use as a weapon against you. So maybe take that into consideration. And try to be as safe as possible. Protect your privacy. Don't put too much of your public life out there for the sake of being vulnerable and being authentic. Maybe reserve that for the people that are more intimate in your life. Maybe it's more important for people in your life to know what's going on with you that can actually, you know, help you, give you a hug when you need it, be there for you, actually be there for you. Then is to seek validation in the arms of strangers on the internet that you will never meet that don't really have that investment in you. 
in the same way. So I would say if you have the blessing of real life friends and family, turn to them, even if they don't fully understand the direct nature of the internet and those things, hopefully they understand you and they understand how to be there for you. And they understand how to give you support. And, you know, it's worth trying to find those relationships and cultivate them in real life. If you need someone who does understand you from the creator space, build a DM or text group of like-minded people that you trust and that you've had a good rapport with over years and years. And that might be your safe space to vent and to vocalize and to get some validation and to get some understanding. And then you won't need it from everyone else at scale and to take the risk that somebody will use it against you or take it the wrong way or that it'll cost you opportunities. So I would say, yeah, find people that it makes sense to be vulnerable with and realize that that's not your audience a lot of the time, especially as you grow. They won't be able to relate to your problems if they ever did. And sometimes you just need people on your own level to talk to that will get it. And you need people that are much closer to you and that will keep your confidences in your privacy. The thing that I feel like a lot of creators don't realize about social media, as I said earlier, and Roberto just highlighted, is that it can be used against you. It could be used against you when you're looking to work with a brand. It could be used against you if you are looking for employment. Yes, employers are now scouring social media to make sure that you are above board. That's been the case for years, and now they have AI to help. Yep. If you are being reckless in social media in front of the fellow of your fellow creator, then they're going to not want to touch you with a 10 foot pole if that's how you are on social media. So there's a lot of nuance and just understanding of how to conduct yourself as a creator, because what you need to realize when you're a creator is that you are a business. You might not like that word. You might not think that you're a business, but when you're trying to grow a channel, you are trying to grow a business. So in essence, you are now a business and you need to move and conduct yourself as a business Otherwise, it's not going to go well. The things that you can do on your personal account, you can't do it on your creator account. It just it doesn't work that way. It's not the same thing. You don't have those freedoms anymore when you are trying to build a business. So understand what that means and what that looks like for you and then move accordingly for sure. Mm-hmm. Mr. Blake, it's been an amazing 2023, my dude. I appreciate you being on the guest, uh, being a guest on the podcast multiple times. Uh, his information will be- definitely be in the show notes for you all. Find him at Roberto Blake on YouTube. Check out the Awesome Creator Academy and go out there and buy the book, y'all. The book is good. Go out there and buy the book. Uh, create something awesome. Uh, how to what is it? How to turn your passions into how creators uh, are profiting from their passion in the creator economy. Yep. There you go. Buy the book. Uh, Roberto is awesome. We love having him on the podcast. And happy New Year to all of you all listening. I appreciate you all. You know your boy Viper will be back next week or next year with another episode of Tube Talk. Presented by Vid I Q. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.